Dr. Rena Al-Falaki. Welcome to another episode of Be Free, Be Fun, Be Fearless. So today we are sticking with a rather current situation and that is the situation of events and what has happened to our life here in 2020. Well, yes, events are exactly like this through the screen rather than in person, which is a very sad situation, but that's a massive, massive industry that have had to be sidelined or reinvent themselves in some way. So I am thrilled to be joined today by someone who has done exactly that. She really is a wealth of knowledge, experience and true, true inspiration in, in what she has done in the past and what she is currently doing, which is really, really exciting. So a fellow Brit at last, you know, most of my guests have been American or one from New Zealand, one from Africa. So I finally get a fellow Brit. Welcome, Corby. Welcome to Corby Hair. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Absolute pleasure. Now, Colby, you have over 25 years experience in the events industry. Absolutely do, yes. I started in events when I left university um, with, a, with a business degree. And so it's, it's been the only industry I've ever known. I've been in that space for actually more than 25 years, but we'll just stick with 25 today. And I've worked across a whole host of events from what I'd call consumer large festival experiential events right the way to the other end of the spectrum to high level technology shows. And obviously with the pandemic, most of the activity most definitely has stopped. Face-to-face -face visits are obviously not allowed. Um, so the whole industry is at, at a standstill at the moment. So when did you start to get warning bells about it? Um, I, I, we have a, uh, a big event in the calendar that I, I tend to go to annually, which is called the Mobile World Congress, uh, which takes place in Barcelona every year. Um, it's a great event, over 100,000 odd visitors. Anybody and everybody that's in technology tends to go. Um, it's huge and it's a great place to network and just see what all the latest trends were. Um, started to get sort of a, a sense of something was going on towards sort of mid-January when some of the big players like Amazon and Samsung and Sony started to say they weren't, weren't going to be there this year. Um, I mean, obviously, at that time here in London in UK, we were watching the news about Wuhan. Um, and, you know, I think everyone at that time thought it was a China-centric problem uh, or an issue or, you know, like SARS, it sort of originated there. So I think we were all looking at that. Um, but when Mobile World Congress started to post statements that certain large American tech companies were stepping back, um, my alarm bells started to ring a little bit. And how did that make you feel? Well, I think initially, uh, you know, being from the events industry, we're all very resilient. I had a diary of events to visit here in the UK. You know, there was big technology shows taking place at Excel. Um, and I really do think at the time we, we started to think it's a problem over there. Um, I, I, quite a few people hadn't made the correlation between Amazon, Samsung and Sony pulling out of the Mobile World Congress. But a few of us were, were suspicious of, you know, what, why are they walking away from it and how will that impact our industry? And then, to be honest with you, it snowballed so quickly. We went from, you know, hearing about the tragic news in Italy and it was coming closer and closer to our doorstep to um, 
a, a delayed lockdown here. I, I honestly thought they'd pull the plug here around about March, early March, but they obviously didn't didn't until a little bit later on the 23rd. So, um, yeah. And at the time, I think we all thought, OK, you know, this will be for a couple of months. And by the summer, certainly by autumn, we'll be back on business. So meanwhile, the events industry, given that they're very creative, um, they, they immediately went online like we are now on Zoom and other platforms and continued hosting their, um, you know, their knowledge workshops or whatever. But now it almost feels like we're in this state of limbo, really. We want to get back to physical events because, you know, people buy people first and we're human. We like that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and, you know, we, we, you know the, the, the virtual and the physical, we, you know, blended events, if you want to call them. But I, I think we thought we'd be more physical at this stage and we're still not. Um, and I'm not even sure that we will be ready for spring next year. I think, I think the earliest will be summer next year. Uh, and, and, and the organizers will rethink and do more events outdoors, which, which is the safest place to host them at the moment. So how much, I mean, this is it, because like you say, an event, it's not like, you know, okay, someone hits the green light and you can pop it up overnight. It takes months yeah. and months of work. Right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you call it a campaign, an event campaign. If you like, for example, I worked on Cisco Live many years ago that was hosted in Milan that involved global teams from around the world. You know, it takes a whole year to plan. You know, these events are like 10 million pound events. Um, you know, you you literally are taking anybody and everybody that's involved in that space to an empty building, almost an aircraft hangar, which you completely build up from scratch. Um, and that that takes on a huge ecosystem of, you know, you're, you're staging people, your camera lights, action, the whole production teams. You've got people that do the registration. You've got all the taxis, the concierge, or what we call shuttle services to get delegates from A to B, the whole delegate journey. You've got the hotels, you've got the flights, and then actually on the ground, you've got all the hospitality that surrounds the events, such as the catering, the security. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people employed in this sector. And it's absolutely heartbreaking that most of us at the moment um, are out of work, can't work, won't, you know, just can't physically work because we, we, the events industry is just ground to a halt. A bit like the aviation industry yeah exactly so even like i said even if you got the green light it would still take so much time to actually implement and put yeah, to, to pull it all together absolutely Deadline. and then you know you're consulting with sponsors and exhibitors and you're putting together speaker platforms so you're recruiting your speakers you're sorting out their schedules there's so much that goes involved you know it's like creating a wedding <laughs> you know a huge huge banquet for you know tens of them thousands of people um, and now obviously as you you know you know in the news the XL Centre the NEC in London the NEC Centre in Birmingham and other exhibition centres are actually at the moment used as um, hospitals for, 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 for the coronavirus for the COVID-19 so they're all emergency beds are there so the exhibitions industry has literally just been tapped down into the ground for now. Yeah, I mean, it takes a huge amount of planning. I know myself when, I, when I'm when uh, i booked for a speaker, you know, unless they get in early, I'm usually booked up about a year ahead as it is. So yeah, it really it does take a huge amount of time. So, um, oh, you want to- No, that's fine. I was just agreeing <laughs> with you, actually. I mean, you know, the speakers for sure, you know, if you want a quality speaker lineup, then you've got to get the speakers well in advance. And I, I think now 
that there is a forum for speakers on, on the virtual events, but we're still missing that, you know, that special part of the event where people are actually meeting face to face and, and networking and building, building relations, which is hard to do over a virtual platform. Yeah, so this was going to be my next question, because there would be some people who would argue actually virtual can do everything now, you know, virtual conferences, we go into breakout rooms, we can even have these virtual coffee meetings and shops. You and yeah. I met at a virtual event. Yes, we have, yes. <laughs> but how, how is it so different? Well, I know. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant that we've got technology. And I, you know, I'm a big promoter of technology. I've worked in technology events now for a number of years, promoting the Internet of Things and, and most recently blockchain. Um, so, you know, I pull together thought leaders from around the world that have got something to say about digital transformation in different industries, different vertical sectors. Um, so I'm really glad that, you know, we have got this virtual um, capacity to just get online and connect. I think it's broadened uh, the appeal for some events or some sessions because you can go worldwide. You know, you're not having to fly, you're not occupying a hotel room. You know, it, it's, it's effortless now for the, for the delegate. But there's part of the events, which is the face-to-face -face interaction, which as humans we need, we crave it, you know. So it's not an either or, it's nice to have a bit of both. Um, but I'd like to get back to the, you know, like how it was as well, where we are meeting in face-to-face -face and we are having coffees and networking events and icebreaking events and actually connecting people to people. But what is it you think when you have that physical quality of, two people, five people, 10, 100 people in a room, what makes yep. it so different? I think it's the chemistry and I think it's human interaction, that sort of chemical reaction that you have with certain people where you click immediately or you don't. Um, you know, when you meet face to face, you tend to digress quite a bit to talk about perhaps you know other things other than just the event whereas I, I found when I've been on virtual platforms we, we, we stick to the subject's theme we're also getting a little bit of screen fatigue and, and what have you um, and I think you know humans we're mobile people we like to walk around that freedom that you have of being able to go into a different keynote or walk to another building or you know it, it, it's all to do with the movement as well of people and not just being static at your computer screen, you know, going into different breakout rooms on, 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 a, on a session board. It's just not quite, it's just not the same. Yeah, actually that's very relevant, isn't it? So you touched on two points there. One, you told the chemistry and I probably call it, yeah, the energy because of course we all ultimately emit energy, don't we? And we can get yes. a greater feel for that when we are actually physically with somebody than we can through a computer screen and then of course the other thing you said of course is people are getting up now of course that creates energy in itself but it also makes someone more energetic by the fact that they're not just sitting you know we all know how we feel if we're stuck in a conference and the, the speaker goes absolutely long or we yes. you know we, we don't have time for a break we're stuck there for two hours versus actually we just get yes, up for exactly. a yes. room. okay you might rush off and go and get your cup of tea but <laughs> But then you're back to sitting down again in the same position. So perhaps even though we may feel enthusiastic, our enthusiasm stops, like I said, screen fatigue, it yeah. stops coming across because we're not physically having those 
little breaks that we would otherwise yeah and I mean you know when you're event planning there's a huge part of it that's actually called uh the the visitor journey you know it is a delegate journey a customer journey whatever you want to call it you know retailers have the same for people coming into their stores so it's really understanding the persona of the person that's coming to your event so you know what what are the touch points you know that you're that you're marketing and communicating with them on you know from initially you know your countdown clock to the event your, your the travel the hotel there's the whole experience you know especially if um you're, you're you're flying abroad for an event then it's that whole whole event sort of tourism aspect as well which you don't have when you're sitting in your lounge or your office from home no no matter how great your virtual background may be <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some wonderful ones, believe me, you know, Seychelles and what have you. Yeah, wishful, wishful thinking, a lot of it, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah. I also think the third factor that perhaps inhibits people is not everybody is good on a screen. Yes, some people yes. Just can't, they feel too unnatural. Um, and as per yeah, episode three of this podcast, where we talked about sort of virtual meetings and Zoom meetings, that a lot of the time you're distracted by your own reflection when you're trying to speak to somebody as well. Yeah, and you know, people are different. Like you said, you know, I mean, I've got a natural outgoing personality because I was I, I started off in sales, ad sales straight from university. You know, it was our first job, smile when you dial, all these cliche expressions when you get on the phone. So I feel quite comfortable, um, you know, being the icebreaker. But you know, when you when you've got events, you and your team of colleagues, you're actually paving the way for somebody else as well. You're being the icebreaker for them. Um, so I, yes, I think, you know, it's not for everybody being online. So it, uh, it does limit some people and that's a shame. Mm. And I think particularly as well for speakers from what I've seen, it's, it, there's almost nowhere to hide when they're on screen as well. I've really noticed that. I mean, whenever I stand on stage and speak, I, you know, it, it, most of my stuff is just is little prompts and then I know what it is I want to say. And a lot of it, it becomes ad lib because I just feel the mood, but I've really, witness uh, listening to some people and they're just there you know with their piece of paper and absolutely and they've got no feedback either they've got no audience engagement you know apart from a chat screen um and someone feeding you questions or post-it notes or whatever so it's quite it's quite isolating i think as well yeah and can be very difficult to exude your your personality and your exuberance and your stage presence because yeah you can't walk up and down the stage. I have seen some great presenters, you know, stand at a, a keyboard, but then, you know, it's not like being on a 70 foot, you know, 700 feet stage setting where you're walking up and down and you're, you're expressing yourself. You literally got this, like I am now to you, you know, this sort of passport photo booth vision. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, then you can use audio and videos and other stuff, but it's still not the same. Yeah, and it really highlight uh people's body language and gestures i've noticed as well so i mean you're normally you know you try to keep your hands pretty still you know there might be a little bit of flair every now and again i think i've just started to notice it so much because you have only got this little box and you have someone with big hands here and you see them capturing and i mean this looks distracting yeah yeah it does absolutely yeah i was on stage doing a bit of this you might you might not be quite the kenny everett Comedian, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there is no, there is no, you am gonna cross my legs like this now. There is nowhere yeah. to, it's Kenny over it though, because there is no, yeah. to, there is nowhere to hide. So, Absolutely. 
what I mean, obviously, uh, we're going to go on to what you're doing, which I think is phenomenal with this resilience that you've shown and this ability to kind of re reinvent or to, to sidetrack on what you're doing. But from what you know of all your colleagues, what's the general... quite a lot of them are out of work um, and depending. I mean, our, my industry's. Um, full of freelancers and that's really what I was I, I freelance so that I had the flexibility to work um, and a lot of the freelancers I mean you know there's about three million of us in the UK and we've actually set up a group called excluded um, dot, you know dot co dot UK on Facebook because we've just simply been forgotten we don't qualify for a bounce back loan we don't qualify for furlough um, there's very little support for this sector um, and it's it's it, you know it's devastating because livelihoods are just completely you know gone to the wall and if this is your core competency as it is mine I mean I love events I've worked in consumer public big festival shows like I said to high-end um, you know strategic te uh, technology conferences where you've got real high-powered global thought leaders um, all of that's just sort of gone to the wire at the moment. Um, so it's it, it's very, very disheartening. Um, there's some great people out there that have just been really left out in the cold. Such a pity, such a pity. It will get better, it will, it will. Amy. It will get better. And, you know, I'm having said that, you know, the event sector, we've, you know, when you do an event of any kind, conference, exhibition, an awards ceremony, whatever, you, we're really good at having a plan B. We always have a contingency. Um, and I think, uh, I know, you know, we hit upon this when you said the word resilience, you know, so you've, you've got that inbuilt resilience to just sort of flick a switch and think, okay, that's crashed and burned, let's go straight to operation B. Um, but I think at times like this, we're all almost relying on plan C. Um, and, and that's really where my, my new ventures come from is Plan C. Yeah, so you have Plan C. Tell us about Plan C. Well, it started quite accidentally. I mean, we're all, um, most of the event people that I know, we're very creative, you know, we're quite innovative and positive in our approach because we deal with so many different clients with different needs most of the time. Um, it started in lockdown. I um, started to do, I was watching Gordon Ramsay with my son doing his lockdown cookery sessions. Uh, oh God, they were so entertaining because his daughter Tilly was filming them with her mobile phone. And so my son, he absolutely adores Gordon Ramsay. Um, and um, we, we just thought we'd emulate that in our own kitchen and do something fun ourselves because, you know, we do a lot of cooking together. Uh, schools were home. We were in lockdown trying to entertain, you know, children, as you know, when you're multitasking is always a challenge. Um, so we started filming. Um, and then my son, you know, who's very tech savvy, posted this information on YouTube. And, and before you know it, I had X amount of followers and so many clicks and so many views. And lots of requests from friends, my, my, my you know, my inner circle of mums who are like me, juggling career and home, saying, you make it look so easy. Can you do, you know, alu gobi? Can you do this? Can you do that? So I start, started to do sort of like recipes every two or three weeks. Um, and so much so <laughs> that I've now actually set up a business um, to promote authentic Indian cooking with a bit of a modern twist. Um, and people can actually watch my youtube channel and cook along with me so it's great fun yeah i mean i've watched some of your videos and actually you've got a lovely setup it looks like a really quite a good professional kitchen a lovely online presence and thank you, know, you. just taking people through these these yeah. simple dishes yeah 
Well, the kitchen doesn't always look that, like that, I can tell you. I mean, it's white, which is really difficult. When I had it installed a few years ago, I do remember people saying, well, you, you know, you cook a lot of Indian, so you're going to be all right with turmeric on the white stone. And, you know, fingers crossed I've been okay, but um, it does take a big, deep clean before and after. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good fun. I could do with some help in the kitchen, let's put it like that. So is your son still the one filming you? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, and, you know, that in itself has had a lot of attention, you know, people that we know and his friends and even his school teachers, because he's been sharing my my videos with his teachers who have started to cook along with me, too. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been really enjoyable, actually. Um, and it's one of my passions, cooking, uh, especially Indian food, because my, my origins are Punjabi Indian. So it's, it's great to do something that comes so naturally to share it with somebody and actually make a difference to their day because they feel they've learned something. So it's, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, so this is part of you engaging with your passion, having some fun, having some bonding time with your yes. son. Absolutely, yeah. Which of course is another passion. You know, he's a teenager, right? Sorry about that. Sorry. Yes, he is. Teenager. He's a teenager, so I mean, anything that involves technology, he's there, you know, so that, that's, that's, that's the good thing. Yeah, my, my, my son also is a, definitely an aspiring YouTuber. So, uh, it, yeah, I, I feel like I'm turning into my parents. I remember when I was a kid showing my parents, you know, how to work the video recorder. And not that we even have, do we even have video recorders nowadays? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and thinking my parents were so backwards. And now you, sort of, you start to find yourself getting into the same, uh, the same old situation where they look at you saying, oh, mom. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, which which is always quite quite amusing for sure. So now your recipes, where do you get your inspiration from? Right. So the inspiration is really from my childhood, and over the years, what I've done is, I mean, you know, even at university, I'd be, you know, after we'd been to the disco for the evening, I'd be the one in the kitchen knocking something up for my friends, and they'd all congregate back. I've, I love hosting. I really do enjoy cooking. Um, so my in inspiration comes from a lot of different directions. Um, childhood recipes from the family home. Uh, uh, recipes picked up through, you know, just hanging out with my mom and my aunties in somebody else's kitchen, watching them do something different. And then over the years, just sort of perfecting those and changing them and making them a little bit more cosmopolitan. So, you know, I love Arabic food. I love Greek food. I love Italian food most foods I love um, and thankfully that's something that my, my son's grown up with you know he's not a fussy eater he'll eat what's what I'm having or and he equally enjoys different foods um, so a lot of my inspiration's been sort of uh, sort of a mix in emerging of different tastes that I've enjoyed with with, with the, um, different foods from different restaurants and different families and what what can you share with us about about your recipes to give us a few a few other teasers to get us go on to that uh, so, YouTube channel. Yeah, so the ones at the moment on the on the website are pretty much homegrown recipes, real what I'd call fundamental staple dishes. Uh, you know, the equivalent of your, your shepherd's pie in Punjabi family is gima, which is basically mincemeat with peas and potatoes. And it should it's a real it's one of the top four or five Punjabi home dishes. Um, and then a lamb curry, which is a, a great family family favourite. Um, but what I'm planning to do, because I've had quite a few requests, is actually to do some how-to classes. So, you know, for somebody who 
wants to start perhaps even Indian cooking or doesn't quite know what goes in. I want to do some tricks of the trade. What are your core five ingredients to use? Moving on to more elaborate dishes. I mean, you know, my, my spice drawers are huge. I've got every ingredient going, um, most spices in there, but I, I want to show people that if you've got the top five, which is your salt, uh, your onion, your garlic, your chili, your turmeric, and, your, and, and a masala, a good garam masala, then that's pretty much your foundation sorted. Um, so in fact, for, for half term, I was looking to do a, a basics class for parents at home who want to get their teenagers started on cooking. What a good idea. Yeah, what a great idea. So yeah, watch this space. This time next week, I'll probably push something out or, or I might do something later on this week where we're just doing a, a nice, fun, uh, staple dish. I might just do bhajis or something simple, you know, to get the kids eating different vegetables. And there you can use aubergines, courgettes, cauliflowers, spinach, potato, onion. So I'm looking at doing some little tapasy things, Punjabi tapas. Mm, mm. Because I mean, I know the guy grew up. I grew up uh, with Arabic cooking, just by sort of spending time spending time with my my mum in the kitchen. So yeah, we always had those particular. We had, again in Arabic food, we it's not so much the chili, but still a lot of very fragrant spices. So we added yes. cardamom, black cardamom. Um, uh, there's a yeah, there's kind of a base a baseline of of spice uh, spice and herbs in there that we just chuck in with everything in different. Beautiful. absolutely beautiful. But um, and I think the one we the one we share is the turmeric. That's uh, and the, and the paprika. That's quite a solid base between yeah. the two two regions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, a coriander, coriander and yes, uh, coriander, uh, brown coriander sure. a massive a massive one in in Arabic food, but. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up with that, so it was just completely normal, but Indian food for me was completely, you know, I, I still wouldn't know, I've, I've been I've been cooking curry from a jar. Tell me what you enjoy the most and I'll, I'll do a special recipe for you next time I want. Well, you told me about the biryani, which actually is not that dissimilar to how I would make an Arabic biryani, except the Arabic biryani would put a lot of saffron and cardamom in there as yes, well. saffron, yeah. I didn't have any at the time. Yeah, and really, but it is lovely. Really fragrant yeah. flavors, uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, I was always I was always a stickler for a, a good old, you know, the British favorite chicken tikka masala. Hello, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, you know Indian food is the the top choice in the UK. You know, for um, out, outdoor dining. So I, I do love that. I love the fact that um, people really enjoy the food. It's great. Absolutely. So you have also then established a website as well. So we should say yeah. your YouTube yeah. channel is called Curry Queen's Kitchen. That's the name of the channel. And if anyone has difficulty finding it, just look up Lockdown Lamb Curry. So that shows you how innovative Corby was. Uh, and you will find Curry Queen's Kitchen. And your website is currycqueenskitchen.co.uk. That's right. Absolutely right. So yes. what, have you got, what have you got on the website? So on the website, I have got the, the one that I started with, the classic dish. I mean, you can see it because, you know, I've got brooms in the corner of the kitchen. I'm so non-filming person. And um, I made the lockdown lamb curry, uh, which was, and I'm in that I also showed how to make traditional basmati rice because I know a lot of people struggle with that, with how much water to put in and etc. So I gave away a few little tips there on that one. Um, what I'm moving towards is obviously moving more towards plant-based foods as well. So I'm, I'm going to do a 
vegetarian um, type menu, really looking at plant-based foods like that are much healthier for you. So I'm, I'm gonna start that off now with the Punjabi tapas, just doing like the, the bagari and the bhajis, moving on to more vegetarian dishes that are lighter and nutritious. Um, and in fact, I'm, I'm in conversation with a few people um, that run a fitness firm and we're looking to do join up on a few projects, do some collaborations where I'm offering some organic recipes and some vegetarian recipes, um, which are so much tastier when you cook them Indian style, you know? Um, much better than what you get off the shelf. Your plant kitchen cauliflower has just got nothing on the one that I'm doing at home. So I'm um, looking forward to rolling that out. Yes, and actually so, again, so relevant to have organic food, to have plant-based foods. You know, the, the amount of nutrition that we're able to absorb from that, it's much more natural for our body, Absolutely. much more nutritious, gives us energy, gives it to us uh, more immediately, better absorbed, less bloating. And, you know, and all the other fundamentals, like the Indian ingredients, I mean, your garlic, the Italian Mediterranean diet has known about garlic for centuries, and that's core in Indian cooking, the garlic, the heat from the ginger, which is anti-inflammatory, the, the turmeric, the cardamom, the, you know, the, the cinnamons, these are all, all these spices have enormous health benefits, so... I'm thinking even in our climate at the moment, you know, with all these viruses going around, it's just a great way to keep keep on top of your game health wise. Um, you know, if you, it's also very economical. Um, and in fact, you know, I've been looking at um, some of the ingredients that goes to food banks, which is, you know, we here in my neighborhood set up a, a, a neighborhood distribution chain where we were all co contributing ingredients to the local food bank. Um, and again, you know, I'm look, I've got some ideas there to make up some nice, small, easy, creative menus with that food in those bags, just to sort of, you know, you can eat well on the cheap as well, you know, and to, you know, taste is something that everyone should enjoy and it shouldn't be exclusive to your income. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know from you, you know, it, this is the thing, I hear all your enthusiasm, obviously you've got all this enthusiasm from the events industry, you're obviously well organised, you can multitask, you can... I don't know about that. It sounds like you can, you know, you, or given what you have to do in the event, everything you've done in the yes, events industry, yeah. with, with having to juggle everything and, and, you know, and like I say, think plan B, think plan C, reinventing yourself, where do you get your energy from? I have a lot of sleep <laughs> at the weekends. I, I think that it's more energy, it's more outlook. Um, you know, the, the, I was, I, you know, I've said to my son a few times, what does the word resilience mean to you? And it's great having all these different answers. But I think, you know, fundamentally, it is about looking to the future. Uh, and especially now with us all in this pandemic and, you know, every day can feel like Groundhog Day and you think, has anything changed? You know, you watch the news. Of course, you need to watch the news because you want to know what's going on, but it's quite an energy drain as you see the numbers going up. And I suppose uh, the resilience comes from and the energy which you internalise into a positive energy, which is really about putting yourself in the future, knowing it won't always be like this and actually taking comfort in the fact that hope is the future. So you've got to have hope. You know, people might call that positivity or positive outlook, but I think if you, you've got to try and create that um, and hold on to it. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, holding on to something, you know, you're on the sea and you, you're holding on to the, the power boat or whatever. You know, you've really got to hold on to hope. 
um, and just know it won't it won't be like this. Um, you know, each time we're, we're getting closer towards something else, we don't quite know what it is, whether it's a vaccine, uh, whether it's, you know, new way of doing things, look at us now, you know, we're on a journey somewhere, so you've got to have that hope. Yeah, so, and of course that does go beyond, beyond just positive thinking. It does go on to a way of, a way of being really. It's about, it's it, because when you truly believe in your heart, that it's all going to work out, then then you start to resonate at a much more a much higher level, a level of of gratitude. You know, you go you go beyond acceptance. You you stop sort of feeling sorry for yourself. But the trouble is, a lot of the time we try to create distractions in ourselves. So we try to do things to make ourselves feel better. And I think this is why people are having such a hard time at the moment because there's not a lot they can do. So it's about recognizing sure. actually. There is, you know, and you're a wonderful example of that, you know, that you can. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm here today on camera and yeah, I look quite chirpy and I think it's really important for people to say that I have good days and I have bad days, you know, and I think, you know, since, since this whole thing has started back in uh, early March, we are almost on a roller coaster where we have some great days and we have some really low moments and that's natural and not to dwell on the low and just be kind to yourself and think, I'm entitled to feel like this because you know there is something much bigger than me going on outside of these walls or whatever and and, and be just really be kind to yourself and be kind to others I think that's fundamental. You yourself had said you know you spent a lot a long time sleeping and then and also doing yoga. Yes yep it's, it's funny, yoga was something I did. In fact, you know, the last time I did yoga was pregnancy yoga. And that was when my, my son is 13, just turned 14. Um, but I went back to yoga and um, uh, vinyasa flow and what have you. And I just find that so grounding. Um, so I think you've got to really dig deep and find your, find what resonates with you, what works for you. Is it is it chill music? Is it, you know, having a, a weekly bubble bath? Is it a glass of wine, you know? Is it yoga? Is it a run in the park? Um, and do the things that you enjoy that, that sort of replenish you, that make you feel good about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, yeah. And sometimes people, again, get lost on how to actually identify that or they feel so down in the doldrums, they just can't be bothered. But if you just start to do it, you can actually just bring it. It's about helping you to become grounded, bringing you back into the present. I know you talked about looking at the future and hope, but a lot of the time people aren't even looking into the future. They're looking into the looking into the past of what might have been and therefore aren't able to accept that it's it's different now so it's the start yeah, yeah. In, yeah learning to ground in order to be present I mean one of the things I I get my clients to do is a process that we call scripting so right. it's it's a, it's a way of journaling but you actually you just script out your future for how you anticipate it to be not based on your current reality which might be how much income you have in the bank or whatever so for example Corby you might be sitting there scripting out you know your new business curry queen's kitchen and you'll say you know by the end of this year it will have you know a thousand subscribers and my website will have however many hits and I'll be homing in my contacts because you worked with the BBC and I'll be you know writing doing my cookbook and I'm going to have my TV show and even just scripting that out see I'm just telling you when you're getting a smile on your face yeah absolutely. <laughs> 
Uh, and this Sounds is a great. It is a process of raising your energy, you know, and it's just playing a game. I mean, that's what I do with a lot of my clients because I'm all about, you know, it's well, one of the, the names yeah. of the podcast is about, you know, being fun. And it is actually, if we, we create that element of fun, and nothing then seems like a chore. So you, you just have fun scripting out the process for how you and want something to be, but how you also not just want it, but you anticipate it to be. And it immediately sets your, uh, your energy forwards for, for that, to be able to visualize it. Um, and I'll put actually in the comments for this video, one of my free gifts that I offer, which is what you said about the boat. And it's, a, it's an immediate tour, it's a five minute audio to instantly you instantly feel better and it is about you're actually you're on a pier and you're watching this boat with your scripted life on there as the boat oh, starts okay. to come closer and then you see it's called the five minute switch because i switch you to be on the boat uh, and you feel you come away within five minutes just immediately feeling uh, happier and more lifted. So there are all kinds of little techniques and, and tactics we can do to help us feel better. And when we feel better, we're going to be more proactive to move forwards. And is that in your book? Because I've been looking to get a hold of the copy, actually. Is that in your, is that in your book, the, the, the five minute boat? The five minute, no, it's an audio, it's an audio. I'm gonna put it in the link to the, um, that goes with this video. I'll put it in the comments because it's a free download that I offer as a gift. Uh, and it really is five minutes of listening to this anytime, anytime you want to start a new project, uh, anytime you just want a, a pick me up because it can be difficult to, we lose sight of, of the things that we believe are gonna cheer us up. And it just, it just brings us back to, to see that. To know yeah yeah now my book covers my book obviously covers all kinds of different aspects it covers you know your relationships your, your money mindset your leadership your fun your finding the time uh how we deal with our kids how we deal with our parents uh elements of gratitude all, all kinds of sort of things every different aspect of your life but this this is just a particular one particular tool so so scripting and and switching into that into that script could be really powerful i think it's fundamental you know to have tools like that in your kit bag and it's it's great you know it's lovely that we've met because i think you know you're offering a lot of inspiration to a lot of people who perhaps you know are looking for you know a beacon of light a, a vision of hope or whatever and i think that's it's great that you know to meet people that are, are doing that so it's it's wonderful that we've met on the group that we did yeah and it's about learning to and and i'd love you to comment on this but it is about stepping out of, because you've done exactly that it's about stepping out of what you know you are an expert in the events industry you know and we can talk more about i mean the work you you've done you know with like cisco and technology i mean you absolutely wowed me when you told me all the things that technology can create for even a small business which i mean i just had absolutely no idea about but yet you've been able to step out of the box. Sort of, and, and I don't think it was a natural process of sitting there thinking, oh, what am I passionate about? And where do I think my purpose is? But it was a, no, it was a natural evolution. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's accidental, really, accidental chef, if you'd like to call it. And I think this is a thing we spend so long grow, when we're growing up, going through the educational system, being something or somebody, but there are other things to us, to our personality that we just don't know about. Um, and it's almost, 
you know, do what you're good at and do what you enjoy and do more of it. And I've always loved cooking, but quite frankly, I've been, I spent my whole life on trains and planes commuting. I've never had this period of this lull to actually think, you know, I can do something differently. So in that respect, I think for quite a few people, the lockdown has been um, a point of reflection for a lot of us to think, where are we going? What are we doing? What's it all about? Um, and that inward reflection and that outward projection, you know, what, what do you, where, where, where do you go from here? What do you want to do? Um, so in that way, it's, that element has been positive for me. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I think I would probably add, add that to that piece of advice based on what you've done. And I know, again, what I say to so many of my clients is actually think about what it is you are truly passionate about. And a passion doesn't have to be a, a career. A passion is something that, well, that lights you up, something that makes you feel enthusiastic about something, something that when the day is over, you look back and you think that was a really good day because you had either done or been a certain way, then that's a clue to your passion. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so once, and once you align with your passions, you, you again you it's about raising your energy to a certain level to be able to to create and to attract things into your life and with people absolutely so you were we were discussing the other day as well you know you, I know you also have a passion for education yes I retrained as a a Montessori teacher when my son was born. Um, again, that was a, I was at a stop gap there because you know I, I, I at the time I felt I didn't want to go back to the events industry because it was all consuming, and my role in my life had changed. You know, I'm no longer able to jump on planes and trains, um, and I was hugely passionate at that time. And I still am in child development and you know what makes children tick and how do they develop and how do they grow um and having a boy of course I was like well if I had a daughter I'd know totally how to relate to her you know paint her nails take her out shopping and I was like right okay what we have got a boy what do I do you know how does his mind work um and you know be fortunate enough you know to you know have grown up with a brother and lots of male friends over my over my life career history and university history I've got lots of male friends so felt quite comfortable there but um, I started reading uh, sort of the natural child child development child theories and it led me into Montessori education which was a really nice principle actually originated from Italy but it was really looking at the child holistically in, in the whole in the round so it's not all about, you know, your three R's. It's not about that. It's about following the child and working with the child when you're following them. So, you know, it, like now, for example, we have curriculum, you know, where you've got to do maths and English in the morning. The child might not be in the frame of mind to do maths and English in the morning. They might just want to do painting or playing in the sandpit. So it was, it was sort of this, this journey of learning and teaching children through what they're naturally drawn to. Um, where they almost begin to self-navigate. Um, and I see that with my son because I experimented with him when he was a child. And it was, you know, sometimes if things are out of bounds, you want them more, you know, like they will say, don't give the child a biscuit tin or a chocolate box or whatever. But 
actually allowing them that freedom takes away the, the need to want to, you know, dive in and have all the cookies in the jar, so to speak. Yeah. So um, I did enjoy that. So how can we correlate that to people's everyday lives when they grow up? I think, you, you know, the go with the flow uh, is, you know, live and let live a little bit more. I think they're really good metaphors for just your life's journey, because I think sometimes we spend so long, uh, and this links back to passion as well, trying to be something that we're not. Um, and if we were a little bit more tolerant of other people and just accepting that we all have strengths somewhere, you may just not have found them or you just don't portray them. And, and do, do what you're good at, do what you enjoy, because if you do what you're good at and what you enjoy, I think you're going to be more fulfilled in life. Very much so. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of it's one of the secrets, really, you know, well, why spend so long doing something you dislike? But the problem is, is that a lot of the time, people will feel powerless to change that, you know, they feel bound, they don't yeah. feel free. They feel bound yeah. by the fact that they need a certain amount of money, so they can't do the X, Y, Z. But it's about, it, you don't have to make it into a career. So for example, if you happen to be a writer and you don't have time to publish things, you could do your day job, but you could spend the mornings writing, the evenings writing, spend other times doing something that you're good at or that you're passionate about. And the more you do it, the more yeah. something is likely to, to come of it. So these are ways to get, um, to get unbound, to get unstuck, to think less conventionally, which of course is what, like what you're saying, even from the, from the Montessori mindset upwards, is, is what we forget, but, when we're growing up to we start off without a rule book but we create the rule book and unfortunately and, and of course part of that is how we bring our children up you know with a whole set of rules and boundaries yeah. and so on but we forget yeah. that that we've invented the rule yeah. book and the only person holding ourselves back truly is us we can tear up that rule book and write our own once again yeah, yeah and i think I you know, I think there is a shift as well, even in the workplace. You know, when I entered the workplace straight after university, you had to be pretty much good at everything. But I think um, I'm looking at like my niece's generation, you know, the millennials, they're far kinder in that respect. They are more focused on their strengths. Um, and I think a colleague of ours mentioned it recently about the Strength Finder, that the, the book about, you know, work. Uh, there's a great book out called Strength Finder, and it is, you know, people want to be good at everything. Well, you're not good at everything. Just accept what you're good at and go with it. Um, and don't feel that you're inadequate by not being good at other things. Um, and I think if people did that more and just said, actually, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm better at maths than I am at English, and I'm just going to stick with that and not try to always be good at both. I, I think we'd be happier. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, because you'll be doing what's natural to you. Yes. Yes. You know, that's the thing. There's no resistance that way because you're naturally drawn in that direction and you're not also, you're not trying to be what you're not. You know, again, it's part of about yeah, being authentic yeah. self. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Being, being, being who you truly are, be that, you know, your passion, be it what you're good at, what your strengths are. Yeah. But, but when you do that, it, every, as everything becomes more natural, then there's no facade. People will see that's who right. you truly are inside. Yeah, I know people worry about making mistakes, don't they? And I think that's that that's that's the part that we've all got to get over. Is we're human after all. 
We are, yeah, 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 absolutely. And a human doesn't have to mean uh, perfect. Well, it, but again, you know, we can get into a debate about what's perfect and what's not perfect because yeah. actually it, when you get to the level of acceptance, everything is perfect. It's just not, you know, but, but by whose rule book? Just because actually perfect yeah. just means it just is and it's, it's the way it's meant to be. So, but your background's quite interesting. So you, you were a doctor and then you moved across into fascinating and what, what what were your um drivers what made you change direction yeah so as a, as a specialist periodontist that that obviously set me up on the speaker stage to travel around worldwide teaching that was one of my passions I actually wanted to be a teacher when I was growing up and in a typical kind of Arabic yeah. family my mother was a, my parents were like what do you mean be a teacher <laughs> to be you know, yeah, doctor. yes a doctor yes yes absolutely so um so you did that you did that tick in the box and so you did do that which is good I did but actually but my you know my brother and my sister didn't so I I did it actually because I I, I genuinely in the end wanted to go wanted to go into it and, and there was a bit of a family tug and a family influence there but you know always always an incredibly high achiever knew that if I went to university I wouldn't just want to do a degree I, you know all the women in my family were highly educated so I'd have to do a master's and I'd have to do a PhD so why not just do a five-year degree on top except I then spent 11 <laughs> years studying because I then chose to specialize you know? <laughs> So I just went on and on and on and then excelled in my career, became a complete, you know, leader in my field, traveling the world stage, you know, innovation, uh, developing uh, new protocols, research, teaching. So I still got into the teaching in the end, you see the passion, that's what, that's what came yeah, through. Yeah. But, what I was way, doing, yeah. Yeah. but what I was doing in my clinic was uh, whenever we see a patient, if, if someone has periodontal disease, they have a, a chronic illness. Yeah, and it's linked to heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, arthritis. It's very much the human body and inflammation. So it's not just mm -hmm. about how well they happen to brush their teeth. You know, that's, that's only a, a, a tiny part of it. So it was about tapping into people's mindset because the, their behavior and their psychology, what they do, what they don't do, their health positive behaviors would all have an impact. So by the time they're in my chair, be them 20 years old, 30, 40 or 60, I end up, before I even look in their mouth and do a, a clinical examination, I was always, you know, they wonder why I was talking to them for half an hour, but I'd be asking them about their history, their stress levels, their negative life events, what their personality was like, because that would tell me I knew what I was going to find. Uh, so it, that's what I love, the psychology of it, the fascination and getting people to take ownership of a chronic condition getting you know which means empowering somebody essentially you know they, they don't can't just sit in my chair and i treat them because that isn't going to work it's going to work short term but it's not going to work long time long term because you know you need to empower yeah. them to take ownership to change behavior and you can't just tell somebody what to do so i i so obviously very passionate about health but that's what really made me feel my calling amongst you know health and business and all the rest of it was was to take it a step further beyond just health which is when I then retrained as a, a coach and obviously I wrote my book women who want more which again is all about empowering people how do you create balance in your life how do you how do you have that inner feeling of fulfillment without distracting yourself by you know be it retail therapy or or social media or how many likes you have in a post all the things that make us 
feel happier, albeit temporarily? How can we, how can we get that inner core of feeling great about ourselves and create balance? Because I was certainly somebody who was very much out of balance, you know, very career focused, but uh, you know, other other aspects of my life really suffered, which is obviously a story I share in my book. Uh, so that that was my passion to use that life experience to to help others. So of course, that's that's what I do now. I mean, I still do a couple of days in my clinic, but the rest is all coaching and speaking and writing and interviewing. Uh, all interviewing all about that. Yeah, yeah, people, people who are who are like-minded. So I mean, you hear my shift, right? It's what I'm. It's what I'm very passionate about, and it aligns with me. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Thank you. And actually, stick on the topic of healthcare. You know, having come back from lockdown, I I don't think I've seen. I cannot remember a period having been a, a periodontist for over twenty years. I cannot remember a period of time where I have seen so, such severity of disease in my clinic. Um, really? And again, this is all, you know, and people aren't eating any differently than, you know, but they are, it's, it's just because this is what we see when people are chronically stressed. Right. Um, so, you know, they, they undergo massive deterioration. And obviously that's what I can see because I can measure it, but we don't, you know, we don't know what's going on with people's hearts and people's pancreas and people's joints and all the rest of it, unless you specifically choose to look for those things and draw blood. People won't be necessarily having symptoms until they have heart attacks or, you know, they fall down and they faint because their diabetes, which wasn't even diagnosed, has gotten so bad. So I think that's something we really forgetting about in this current situation is is what happens with your what actually how stress is a huge huge uh killer and yeah and that's I think you're absolutely right and this is this is something that needs to be talked about a lot more you know the fact how stress can alter the mind the body state and you know even within my circle of friends, I know we're all going through peaks and troughs at different times. And I think, you know, with all that's going on with the pandemic, you almost need a, a separate movement that sits alongside of it that says, right now, take care of yourself. You know, please do this. Please do that. Because we're hearing about numbers every day. We're hearing about lockdowns. We're hearing about restrictions. But let's have the how to help yourself while all this is going on or to be aware that it's OK if you're feeling low. It's OK if you can't function on a Monday morning, you know, about being kind to yourself and, and not feel that you've got to have something happening every day. And if you're, you know, you're not achieving because you've lost your job, because, you know, a lot of people are losing their work. I mean, it's great that we're talking today about Curry Queen and it's, yes, it's something that, that I've done, but, you know, on a serious note, um, we all need to work. We all need an income. This is my hobby for now. So there are a lot of people that are feeling... Uh, the stress on, on different levels on at different times and I think you know we should be talking about it more openly so it's, it's, it's good that you're in that space. Very much so I mean you know and I was you know my thesis 20 years ago was about the effect that, that stress had on the immune system and, and what it has on our uh, on our health uh, and it, it saddens me that not enough people are talking about this you know how can we boost our immune system and it's so much more relevant than just taking supplements 
it's, you know, okay, if you want to take supplements, that's great. But what type of supplements? You touched on nutrition. Actually, the best type of supplements are based on nutrition. And there are some supplements that shouldn't be mixed with others or taken at certain times mm -hmm. of the day. Or, or, you know, you get a bottle of zinc. Well, what type of zinc should you be taking? You know, which one works the best? And then what can you do yeah. psychologically to boost your immune system? What type of exercise should you be doing to boost your immune system and for how long? So, I mean, I've actually put together, again, I'll share it in the links, but I'll put it, I've, um, I've put together a, a whole document called, you know, your immune booster blueprint that gives you all yeah. of that information. So it's way beyond uh, supplements, mm. you know, in which case, if you're going to, if you want to meditate to boost your immune system, what type of meditation should you be doing? If you struggle with meditation, you know, what, what else can you do? And of course I used to run and, and we'll restart again, meditate with dance classes, which is a, just a really fun way to do, uh, to do meditation. Um, but you know, how, how can we boost our immune system in so many different ways? Cause that's what's going to help lift us and lift our mood and lift our morale and improve our, improve our health. That, that is actually going to be better than any vaccine. <laughs> absolutely right and i'm you know I'm, I'm delighted to look at your links now because there's so much more that i'm learning about you know what you do which is which is which is great and i'll i'll spread the love because i think you're you're absolutely right we need it is, it's all about it's all about also just trying to make it practical it's like you say so it was interesting one of one of the interviews i did last week and he spent 10 years out of university focusing on positive thinking to realize that actually completely destroyed destroyed him because we talk about positive thinking but it's a, you have to go deeper than that and you know how do you tell someone right now who is out of their job yeah struggling you know may have a mortgage holiday but for how long you know, cannot they work in the events industry they haven't got an option to reinvent themselves right now and they just have to sit it out how can you just turn around to that person and say oh you've got to be positive uh, exactly. You know, exactly. What, what are the tools? What are the tools we can give people to actually literally lift them, lift them out of that sense of powerlessness and victim mode? Again, not meaning to sound derogatory when we talk about victim mode. It's just it's just a label. It's that level one energy where mm. to, to actually start to become outward thinking. Because when you do start to become outward thinking, when you lift your energy levels to be able to do that, you will be more open to opportunities. You will see the opportunities that present themselves. And I know with you, you are already one of those people. So you started to recognize opportunities and it may well be from the, the job that you've done and the life that you've led, uh, which is allowed to make you, has helped you become very versatile. Yeah. But you know, how do we lift people out of the doldrums in the first place so that they can see the opportunities, they can see the carrot dangling in front of them and realize that may be a direction they can go in. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I've done more talking than asking. Possibly <laughs> what you actually do. Yes, no, that's fine. I think it's been a very balanced interview. <laughs> so yeah, we are we are out of time, Corby. But you really are a phenomenal uh, inspiration to show exactly that of how if we do lift ourselves up, if we engage with our passions. We can, it can start with a hobby, but the more and more time you spend on it. And of course, see all the people who you're helping with what you're doing there, you know, you're giving people uh, inspiration, you're giving people food for thought, you're giving people food. Absolutely. Well, I know it does feel, it does feel good 
you know, when people say I've cooked one of your recipes or, you know, you know they've shared a post and they've, they've got me on their iPad in their kitchen and they're cooking along and you think it's kind of nice. What comes effortlessly to me is helping somebody else. That feels great. That really does. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when we, you and I talked earlier and, and I was talking, I was asking you, you know, where your inspiration came from and you'd said, you know, in a way it was just all, all of us in the kitchen and everybody stirring the pot and everybody That's making right. a contribution, which I thought was yeah. so beautiful. And, mm. and I, I pointed out that in some way that, that is our, that is a metaphor for, for, for our life. If we are, we are the pot, people will come in, people will come out, people will stir, they'll stir in different ways. They'll add a bit of ingredients, then they'll walk away. So, you know, it's, it, you, you talk about, you know, the spice of life and so on, but actually our metaphor for life is actually if we are that pot, it's whether we want to allow people to come into it, come out of it and what role we want them to play in our lives. And you're just a living example wow. of that. Thank you. My goodness. I put that on my website about, you know, the stirring of the pot, but I, you've given it a whole new meaning. I love that. <laughs> Well, you'll have the recording so you can get the wording and yeah, we'll, we'll phrase it for you just the way you want it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Corby. I know you've, I'm sure you've given a lot of hope to a lot of people today with what you've, with what you've had to say. Uh, and so please do check out Corby's website, Curry, uh, Queens, currycleanskitchen.co.uk and be sure to subscribe to her YouTube channel Curry Queen's Kitchen if you have difficulty finding it look up Lockdown Lamb Curry and you shall find yeah, it I didn't realise but there's so many Curry Queens around the world um, but which is great you know we're all doing the we're all doing similar things and it's lovely that you know we're spreading the word love globally it's great yeah which is wonderful so thank you thank you thank you again and that's all we have time for today so uh, please do hit the subscribe button so you can be notified when we had another episode. So many fascinating, interesting, inspirational people and enlightening interviews to share. And so please do share it uh, with anyone you know will benefit. Uh, I am Dr. Rana Alfalaki. My three final words to you, be free, be fun, be fearless. Bye-bye. Feel on top of the world with Light Changes Coaching. Do you feel like burying your head in the sand, hoping it will all be fine when you come out? Do you know what you want, but no idea how to get it? Are you stuck on the treadmill, repeating the same old patterns, wishing the answers would just be there for you? How great would it feel to have those answers right there in the palm of your hand? Well, did you know that there is a way to get immediate answers, fast resolution of inner problems and quick access to a higher state of awareness? After 20 years of helping people, I have perfected a special technique that allows you to tap into your intuition. Connect with your intuition in just five minutes a day using this special technique, Dr. Renner's gift technique, the guided intuition and fulfillment training, and you can have those light bulb moments every day. So get what you want, a job that gets you excited when you get up in the morning, a relationship where you can look across the table and think how much you love that person, a body that you're proud to have and look in the mirror and absolutely love, a bank balance that you're not afraid to look at. My gift to you is simple, quick technique to access your intuition and give you the instant answers you need to get unstuck without having to do lengthy meditations. So head on over right now to lightchangescoaching.com. Download.